2: This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Bernice Harrison. On today's podcast, I'll be talking to the half-Irish, half-French author Moira Fowley-Doyle about her third novel for young adults, All the Bad Apples, which tell the stories of a family of women doomed to follow in their ancestors' footsteps and have their lives turned upside down at the age of 17. Later, we'll also bring you an interview with British author Emma Jane Unsworth, whose hugely successful book about female friendships, Animals, has been adapted for the big screen. There's an Irish Connection, it was adapted by her, and it'll be in cinemas here from Friday, August 9th. Now, Maura Fowley-Doyle's latest book for young adults, All the Bad Apples, has been described in this paper as a book to hold tightly to your chest. In it, we meet the wayward girls of the Reese family, who are said to be cursed. They stand out because they don't look like everyone else, nor do they act like them. They dress differently, love differently, think differently. The book is a magical realist dive in today's teenagers, confronting things like mother and baby homes, taking the boat to England and witchcraft. It's a heady mix. Moira Fally doyle you're very welcome to the Women's Podcast. So, Moira, there's a lot going on in your book. There is. (laughs) So, you started off at a very pivotal moment in your character's life. Yeah. She's 17.
0: Where, Where did that come out of? Um... The idea of a family curse that appears at 17 uh, sort of landed on me. Yeah, um, nice. I wanted to write about generational trauma. I wanted to write about how the past repeats itself uh, until, I suppose, the the curse, the metaphorical curse is broken. And I wanted to talk about how that happens in a family. Um, for it to happen at 17 made sense, as you say, because this is a YA novel, Um and also for me, I think seventeen. Well, all of my characters have been seventeen so far. Uh, it feels like because seventeen is sort of an age you're finished with childhood, mm. but actually you're not an adult. Mm, exactly.
2: You're, it's, so it's an interesting point in a, in a, especially I think a girl's life.
0: Yeah, exactly. It feels like it feels like a, quite an, a liminal age, and it feels like one that's both full of endings and beginnings. So you're, like you say, you're you're done with childhood. You're almost done with adolescence in a way, and you're not yet an adult you're not yet able to vote you're not let yet uh, out of school a lot of the time and uh, that leads for narratively a lot it has it gives a lot of potential for, yeah. for writing characters who are poised on the brink of something or who uh, are feeling very intensely or have very intense things coming back to
2: mm. them and but Dina She's not an intense character. She's lo- she's an incredibly likable, normal, ordinary, lovely girl, isn't she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was was that was obviously intentional because there's a lot of intense uh, scenes in the book. But she she's
0: she's very balanced in herself, isn't she? She is. Yeah, I wanted her to be, uh, especially as you mentioned that she she comes out at the very in the very beginning chapters. Um, she is a character who is uh, not so much struggling with herself not so much struggling with her sexuality, but uh, with the way her family perceives it um, and who has a good sense of herself as well. And I, I wanted to, I like writing the, maybe slightly awkward, but also quietly confident in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I, I think that she has some uh, some kind of wry humour that I enjoyed writing as well. Um, so
2: another thing I got uh, I got from the novel was that You seem to have a sense that younger generation, and I mean very young, like 18, you know, 17, 18, that sort of age group, that they still are carrying the past on their backs. An Irish past for a woman specifically, is very tricky. Uh, it's it's th- there's there's not a lot of light in there there's a lot of darkness and that she seems to be and that that's part of the book that's part of the navigation of the book was that
0: entirely intentional absolutely yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i think there is there is a piece there about generational trauma and about younger generations uh having to carry the, pa- the weight of the past um which as you say is very weighty um and i think part of it is because since the commission of investigation into mother and baby homes uh, started publishing their findings since the run-up to repeal it, it it's everywhere it was everywhere these the, the past suddenly became a cloud in the present and everybody was talking about it and everybody uh, in sort of older generations were starting to 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 let not even to let the past go but to let the to let to let it bleed out to, to speak their stories to tell to tell the truths that everybody had assumed were true, but nobody was really talking about. And writing a teenager who, because this novel is set in 2012, was not quite at that stage yet, um, was really interesting because there's obviously Mother and Baby Homes, Magdalene, Laundries, all of these things were not part of their lives. Mm. But the idea that the past suddenly became kind of overlaid on the present meant that uh, it became part of their reality, mm. it became part of their country. Um, and all of a sudden, all of this, all of these things that had been silent were, were kind of coming up and there was, yeah, this just this aura of, of women's rage, mm. really. Um, and and are awesome you saying that,
2: that that rage then also impacts on teenagers? Abs- absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually that, that is maybe what's different really now I mean it was a long time ago since I was a teenager, but when i was in, I do remember that when I was in school, it was a sort of a bubble. The outside world didn't really impact the news frankly didn't impact you know I think that's remarkably different now for teenagers absolutely We see the activism in teenagers now, particularly that would not certainly have been part of previous worlds. Do you think that's got to do with education, social media what what do you think that has to what what like why why are teenagers suddenly? you know, aware that this is their planet and, and, and the, the older generation, namely me, has, you know, made bags of it.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think social media is part of it for mm. sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it has its demons, but it means that people, especially young people, can be connected to what's going on in real time mm-hmm. um, and so form real opinions uh, and Bounce those opinions off each other and be aware of people whose lives maybe aren't the same as theirs because it's true that especially like, especially if you are an Irish white middle-class teenager who goes to a school in a specific area, you are in a bubble, but social media can kind of bring you out of that mm. bubble. Um, and I think, as you, want, you were talking about YA, I think I can, you can credit young adult fiction for a bit of it as well because there's... And I think it might be a, what do you call it, like a symbiotic relationship. I feel like I don't know. It's a chicken and egg situation. I feel like uh, young adult fiction explores uh, these kind of subjects, this kind of kind of not even political, but like um, yeah, political and ideological mm. kind of uh, subjects in a way that sometimes adult fiction doesn't, and in a way that is that is speaking to teenagers, but also. Uh, also speaking for them and also being uh, informed by their reactions. Hmm. Uh, again, See, social media. Uh, well, for
2: me, young adult fiction, I think more, you know, we all read fiction, I suppose, in a sense, to help us navigate slightly the world, you know, or to, to make, help us make sense of some things. I think that's a real function of fiction. <laughs> um, I think because young adult fiction, which only appeared, really, maybe 15 years ago, didn't it really? It's a new genre, mm-hmm. actually. And, um, Always features very weighty themes, doesn't it? Like your book. There's weighty themes there. And so I wonder, are they, and you you so, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the chicken and egg kind of idea, are they so successful because they help teenagers navigate this world in this age of anxiety? Is 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 that part of the success?
0: Hopefully. Yeah. To be honest. I mean, I know that that these are the kind of books that I was looking for as a teenager and found very difficult to find.
2: So what was Moira like as a teenager? You grew up in Dublin, did you? Or? Yeah, 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 in Clinturve. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I was not unlike my characters, some of my characters, yeah. um, I suppose. Um, I was a little flighty, read tarot cards, had the tendency to break into abandoned buildings. Mm, um, okay, <laughs> okay that's, not, or, that's not usual. Anyway, go on. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so mostly flippantly, but... Um, and And then when
2: the where when did the writing come? When when was that? Always always okay. always
0: since childhood. <clears throat> um I wrote I wrote a lot since childhood, I wrote a lot of stories, I wrote a lot of poetry and I wrote diaries. Uh when I was a teenager I started writing I continued writing poetry and I started writing stories. Uh novellas and kind of beginnings of novels that I now steal from. Oh, okay. Um, Good. That's, so you stealing from yourself, it's fine. Sti- mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not really theft. But, um I which means that when I say that I write for my teenage self, I'm also sort of writing with my teenage self because a lot of the, um, the family in All the Bad Apples, I stole from my 18 year old self as well. They, they, hmm. That idea of, uh, of two sisters raising their younger sister and those specific family dynamics uh, and their names um, came from a oh. book that I wrote when I was Oh, right. Okay, not, but not from your real life. No. Not from my real life. Yes. No, no, okay. no, from, from, <laughs> okay. from a story I made up when I was a teenager. Yeah,
2: but, and it also strikes me that it must be hard uh, genre to navigate, but you're a young woman. What, what age are you? I'm 34. Okay, so you are, you are young and, um, to me, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> young adult fiction, it must be so easy to get it wrong because in terms of the language you might use, in terms of the reference you might, because teenagers are so attuned to things that are just a bit off. And, you know, are you because as you move further away in your age group from your core market, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? Like, how are you going to I mean, I'll give you a very small, like small example of how judgy teenagers can be about you getting a cultural thing wrong is that I used the thumbs up emoji recently and my teenager I cannot tell you the horror that was expressed. She just thought I was a psychopath for using that. She said nobody does that. Like nobody uses the thumbs up emoji. It's just, you know. So <laughs> who knew? Um, I didn't know that exactly. Okay. <laughs> but so that's what I'm saying. So you know, for uh, teenagers have very specific cultural references, and if you're a bit off, well, you're off. Oh. So as you move out of that age, as you move further from that, how how do you feel about negotiating that space?
0: So I've actually always been quite careful not to uh, have specific cultural references in my books uh, because it does uh, it does change so quickly um, and it does date a book. And I mean, my books are specifically dated. This is specifically set in 2012. But I suppose because I'm writing magic realism, it is slightly... D- I'm not writing a contemporary novel. I'm not trying to... Uh, Speak to the current time uh, in that particular way, and what interests me is the the overlapping of reality and fantasy mm. of magic realism. Um, so, which means that reality becomes a little bit extra, um, and uh, fantasy becomes a sort of a a beautiful allegory <laughs> laid yeah. out uh, on top of it. So. Um, I don't generally use maybe a lot of, of current slang. I don't mm-hmm. talk a lot about social media apart from, like, I mean, people sc- scrolling on their phones, people having social media feeds. I don't use any specific kind of Yes, you terms. don't say that it's Facebook or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, for that reason, because it... it, it da- for- those people
2: that put Bebo in their books. Right. <laughs> well, that was a bit of a mistake. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Um, for, for me, it's a distraction, but also... Because of, w- because of what I write and because of the way I write, it wouldn't come naturally for me to do that anyway. Sure. Um, and So I'm, yeah, because a lot of the time my novels are kind of a conversation between me and my 17-year-old self. Okay. Um, <laughs> and my 17-year-old self didn't have Bebo or no. social media yeah. or a phone to scroll on, so <laughs> there's that as well. Though. So
2: this is your third novel, Spellbook of the Lost and Found, mm-hmm. shortlisted for an Irish Book Award. Um, the Accident Season, which was your first novel, yeah. uh, was shortlisted for the Waterstones Prize. So this is your third. YA um, is very friendly to series, isn't it, as a, as a genre, you know? Is, is that? Do you see that? Do you see, and this is a strong family, I could see this becoming a series, All the Bad Apples. Do you, do you see this as standalone entirely?
0: Absolutely. Okay. And are you on to your next? I um yes, yep. starting my next, yeah, always, always writing. Always will never writing. not be writing. But yeah, always no, I don't writing. think I have the, I have huge respect for authors who write series because I I don't think I could, I can stay with characters for, because a book takes about two years to write. Mm-hmm. And so I will stay with them. And I, it, it's such an intense um, diving into these characters that I don't think I could do it for more than two years. I don't think I could spend six years with the same characters. Mm. It would just be... It would be too intense. Okay. well, (laughs) we
2: urge our listeners who have uh, people in their lives that would be in the market for young adult fiction, that All About Apples by Maura Fowley-Doyle is published by Penguin and it's out now. Thanks,
0: Maura, for coming in. Thank you very much. The Irish Times Women's
2: Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth,
1: dark chocolate. The
2: Great Caitlin Moran. Once described Animals, Emma Jane Unsworth's book about two friends living at large in Manchester as "with nail for Girls. Animals is about Laura and Tyler, two friends in and around the age of 30 who drink, smoke, take drugs and have flings with men they're not in love with. In the film, Laura and Tyler, played by Holiday Granger and Alia Shawkat, are unapologetically wild and loudly refuse to bow to societal pressure to be quiet and Settle Down. The sort of girls we like here in the women's podcast, actually. For the film adaptation, the action moves from Manchester to Dublin. It was filmed here during the campaign to repeal the eighth. And Unsworth says that it definitely impacted the mood on the set. She was in Dublin this week, and she spoke to our co-producer, Jennifer Ryan. In your book, Animals, the action takes place in Manchester,
1: but this film is set in Dublin. So tell me about that decision. So that decision um, wasn't mine originally. I'm very glad that it happened now Um, it was a financial impulse originally and and so we had to move it and um, and it felt huge at first because I'm Mancunian and a proud Mancunian as all Mancunians are so not only did I feel like it was I'd written about a city that I knew very well but also because I wanted to do a kind of love letter to my city in a film as well Um, and I felt as though the the city was a character in the book because it's very sort of radical and it's very boozy and it's very literary and there's all these little nooks and crannies but hey guess what Dublin is all of those things as well and so so even though it felt like a huge move it was actually a sidestep in the end that wasn't that wasn't a compromise on anything that was the true heart of the story which which was the the important thing and and actually when I came to do the redraft to to set it in in Dublin instead it wasn't there weren't very many changes it was kind of that's how that's how right it was that it was um that it was there in the end think so so yeah it was it felt huge but it ended up not being so huge.
3: And it really does feel like Dublin in it because sometimes as, as someone who lives in Dublin, you can watch a film that's based in Dublin i air quotes and you're looking at something that doesn't look familiar at all. Like they can put a gloss yeah. or a sheen on it, but there's yeah. none of that. This is gritty. This is like a true that's portrait good. of yeah. being a scallywag around Dublin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we had a choice um as well when we knew we were gonna shoot in Dublin we could we could make we could shoot in Dublin but make it look like Manchester... Like they do that in quite a lot of films yes. um and so then we do like you know a lot of very close shots around the city and then we'd spend like a few days in manchester taking all these wide shots and then chop them together and it'd look like manchester but the director to her credit didn't want to do that she really wanted to celebrate dublin and she said if we're going to be dublin we're going to do dublin you know and we're going to sort of um really really you know make the most of the city and, and really and celebrate but, but this kind of underbelly of it as well and show you know some places that you might not normally get you know on a postcard <laughs> or anything like that i mean we were nearly scuppered though in when when it came to the shoot because the beast from the east don't you remember was i do, just it, that's when you were recording yeah well it was Award. when the, that was when they were rehearsing thankfully um that it it had just about gone by the time they started shooting, but they were rehearsing, trudging through the snow from the hotels to rehearsal spaces because it was, you know, it was the city was on lockdown, wasn't it? It was just kind of, you know, there wasn't
3: a slice of bread to be found in the city.
1: <laughs> we went mad.
2: There
3: were what no about a loads. glass of wine? How would I'm, they I'm sure People stocked up on yeah. wine, but you couldn't find, you couldn't find a loaf Whoa. of bread in the shop. It was mad,
2: mm.
3: madness. But to talk about the screenplay, so you adapted the book yourself. and not every author gets the chance to do that so was that very important to you to kind of protect it because
1: Animals is such a, a successful book it was really been a baby to you it was. I mean, not, not many writers want to do it, though, either. There's a lot of novelists who's, that's you know, that's their, their worst nightmare, the idea of adapting their own work. But I always wanted to. So when the producer, Sarah Brocklehurst, optioned it originally, she said, do you want to write it yourself? And I said, yes. I said, you know, and a bit of handoff um, because it was something that I really wanted to have a go at. and And it did feel like my baby. But also I loved the collaborative side of it. And also as soon as I got to know Sarah and then got to know Sophie Hyde, the director when we were working, we started working with her. I just trusted them so much to to kind of take it off my hands in a way. It was like if you know, if it was my baby, then it was like finding the best nanny or the best nursery for my baby to sort of grow up in. And I did say actually, just to wring that metaphor out for all it's worth, which I do, um, when I saw the film for the first time, I said, I feel as though I handed over my baby and just met it again as a teenager because that's how it felt. It was like it was like a more mature, evolved version of something that I recognise, and I was like, "Yeah, I kind—I know you. I recognise you, but look how you've grown." And it was great. And that also because I think I was ready to let go of it at that point as well. I was moving on. I was writing another book creatively. I guess I was—I—I was ready to hand over that story and those characters into trusted hands and see, you know, what they did with it. And I, because I knew it was going to be great in their hands.
3: And the film itself, when people watch it, they'll see women's lives in a really realistic way, something that we don't see that often. And I've seen, I'm not the only person to do this, you know, lots of people have been comparing it to the likes of Fleabag and Girls for its portrayal of the kind of warts and all nature of uh, female friendship why do you
1: think it's taken kind of TV and cinema so long to cop on to that <laughs> because we don't like women being wild and messy and dangerous because it, it freaks out the patriarchy <laughs> I think basically um, because there is this, this, this idea that a woman who is messy I mean we, we call them messy women but to me they're just real to me that's you know it's, it's that's just real to, to have conflicting desires and contradictory ideologies and to walk around feeling a bit lost and confused all the time I just think that's kind of real and normal um whatever normal is but so so yeah I'm glad that that all of this is happening and 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 also it's one of the things that makes me the happiest is when someone it's kind of like when an an old man for example comes out from seeing the film and tells me tells me that he's related to it and that he's loved it which has happened a few times that just fills my heart with joy because I just think so good you know that kind of that that you know the the director said this at one point she said um she said isn't it great if if like people are relating to it who you know, who, who are old and male and white and middle-class and kind of all of these things that are, that is always the, def- well, quite often the default um, setting for culture. And the, you know, it's the, the male experience is the default experience. And she said, I feel like I've grown up knowing what it's like to be a middle-aged white man. I know what that feels like, but actually, you know, f- to find out what it's like to throw our stories in the mix and say, Hey, this is what it's like to be, you know, a woman in her twenties stroke thirties and going through all of these experiences and trying to work things out if that goes in the mix and that scene is kind of somehow general and universal and relatable then that's progress that's really progress
3: yeah because we have no end of uh, movies based on male friendships you know the buddy movie yeah,
1: is totally the bromance of, yeah you know, exactly all of that's been around for ages
3: but do you think that maybe in this kind of post me too era now that we are kind of that animals can be part of this new wave of films about female friendships i'm thinking of that um the olivia wilde film book oh, as well is which brilliant. is great and yeah. it'll be quite similar you know in the celebration of female friendships and not in a schmaltzy way or mm. like a, a kind of a comedy way which bridesmaids was great and all that but i mean it's you know yeah kind of uh, hyper real or whatever this is this is more this is gritty and it's it's actual
1: female friendships being portrayed yeah and i think i think that's great because i think showing if we're going to give friendship its due and say look this is up there with romantic love and romantic relationships then we have to say that there is a spectrum of sort of emotion within that and and it isn't just all saccharine loveliness it isn't all warm cuddles on the sofa and opening a bottle of wine and everything feeling like home It's it's often cold and cruel and and frightening and heartbreaking and and we if we're going to say friendship is up there as, as as one of the as a formative um experience in life and and part of your emotional growth then we have to say it can it has these you know it, it, it is capable of, of being devastating as well and transformative and so so i think yeah it's, it's good that that we're that you know that if we're going to value friendship truly then we have to see it as a spectrum of experience because the literary world
3: has got there first right so Animals was a book and that you know this is a story it told with people yeah. like uh, say Dolly Alderton has written really well about friendships and about the, the trials and tribulations and ups and downs I read a, a book recently called Expectation by Anna Hope which again is just about a, a trio of girlfriends and it's, it's you know it's not all you know roses and light and you know yeah. I love you you're the best there's a lot of <laughs> conflict and drama so uh, Female authors have been writing about it first, right?
1: Yes, I think that's true. I think um, I think Hollywood's just very conservative. I think TV's catching on quicker, and there's it feels like there's more radical. There are more radical female characters in TV than in film for sure. And I think that's just because Hollywood, you know, it's still like you've you've still got a lot of old white men holding the purse strings. It's changing a bit, but but that you know it's 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 definitely more of a dinosaur. I know Cattle
3: Moran has uh, once called uh, animals Whitnail for girls. Yes. Do you like that
1: tag? I do. Yeah. Because Whitnail was such a massive inspiration for the, the book because I love that film so much. I love those characters. thought it was so funny. But there was also part of me that thought, could it work with women? Could they be female? And if they were, then, you know, how would that change, you know, their their worries and would it change you know what the the fact that they are would would, could something come in that you know that threatens them that isn't just about whether they're going to get an acting job or not could it be about the age that they're at and and the the control that they have over their bodies and what they're doing with their bodies and the way that people might look at them because of what they're doing with their bodies is there something specific you know about their, their maleness that i could flip on its head and and you know and show something different through female characters
3: And the intimacy of Laura and Tyler, the main character's friendship, is very real. And did you draw on relationships from your own life for those characters?
1: I did. I sort of I drew on on a couple of friendship heartbreaks I suppose um because I just felt so confused by them and I felt like I had no grammar and no skills to cope with them um but I knew I was really upset so it was about exploring those feelings but also um just the like really strong friendships that I'd had that I started to have in my 20s really not really before that Um, I think I wasted a lot of time at school chasing boys around as a teenager you know and I didn't really invest in my friendships then which is partly an immaturity thing, but also I think just because culturally we're told that friendship comes second to romantic love, um, which is wrong. But but I didn't know that then, and um, and so so yeah, I think that I drew on on you know on, on I wanted to write something that really honoured my, my friendships and and my feelings from the good and the bad, the extremity of those feelings, but that also would just show what a laugh I had with my friends as well, because I think the, the book originally sprang from just conversations between two women that were sometimes um sort of like a twisted, filtered, fictionalized version of of say, for example, a hungover conversation I'd had with with a really good friend of mine after a big night out and we'd just be lying together on the sofa, just like saying, just dissecting the night, which is so fun to do. Um and we'd be doing that and we'd end up in that dissection of the night. Um, kind of reduced to our barest (laughs) selves through the hangover. But through the intimacy of that situation too and having shared something through that, we'd actually sometimes go really deep and get to like, we'd figure stuff out. You know, we'd kind of, we'd really crack stuff open and those felt like such interesting, funny Two hander uh, conversations that that I thought you know I want to read that I want to watch that I want you know want to see that and so and, and for women to be doing that rather than the roguish flanner males around town you know doing that that's you know that Dutch felt really important and really special to to try and um, and create. Yeah. And I told you before we started recording, but I laughed and I cried watching this film
3: and I did both at the same time sometimes. <laughs> and there was a scene in particular which involves a newborn baby and a glass oh, of red yes. wine. And I don't want to give too much away about it. <laughs> but that really, that hurt. that was so funny, but it really hurt at the same time because yeah. Laura was just such a mess and you just really felt for her she was just like a ship at sea she didn't know whether she was coming or going And is that how you wanted the audience to feel at that oh, point yeah definitely just kind of
1: excruciating <laughs> it's so much fun writing excruciating things do you know that's one of my favourite scenes to watch like in with in a group of people like in the cinemas because I just love because everyone sort of gasps in horror and they're not sure whether they, they want to laugh or not or whether it's okay to laugh they're not sure like you know if even like the baby actor's okay it's like how did they even do that um, I, know, I suppose I should say to our listeners bit of a spoiler
3: alert but there, a glass of wine ends up on a newborn yeah. baby and like the, 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 the camera shows it like going on its face as well it's just oh my god because you're looking at her holding the baby the glass of wine precariously in the other hand you're like
1: no don't, no, Laura no don't do it it's the worst thing right it's the worst thing that you, that, that could happen at that point it's such a social faux pas and, uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> yes, it is. It's like- you know max, max. Um, and maxed out on social faux pas but, but the baby was fine no babies were hurt in the making of this movie the baby was actually almost too fine um it was like very very chilled about the whole thing but it had a sibling who's a toddler and so the, the baby actor's mum said that the baby was so used to having things thrown over it at home that it was actually just really chilled out and obviously it wasn't wine it was i think it was just like vinto or food cooling in water or something. um but yeah the baby was like so chilled it's a great scene
3: such a great scene and uh you have a great Cast of Irish actors, you've got Pat Short and yes. Owen Fuere and Amy Malloy as well. Yeah. who's great. Amazing. We had her on the podcast a little while ago about her um, her play Cotton Fingers that she's yes. at the
1: moment. And I was so want to see that. It's yeah. Been
3: such good reviews, hasn't it? Really good. So I think it's in Edinburgh Fringe at the moment. I saw oh. her tweeting about it. Wow. But uh, they're just there, just to main a few, but in the lead roles of Laura and Tyler, you have Holiday Granger and Alia Shawcar- Shawcat. Yeah how great was it to get those two actors in those roles? It
1: was... We were so lucky. I feel like we struck gold with with them, really, because, you know, we were just lucky to be able to get them because they were just getting so, so, so busy with um, various TV commitments and other work. Um, And and they were just... You know, the, the chemistry between them is just spot on. They just, you know... They, they work so well together I think that they both just, just really relished um, working together and just like the chance to do something a bit different than what they'd you know done before perhaps it's just so great to see Alia doing something that's just so glamorous she's just such a kind of like world weary old movie star there's so much of that in in her Tyler um, and then with Holiday she really you know she's done a lot of amazing period drama but this is just her being a really raw modern woman and, re- and, and just kind of you know grabbing that and really embodying that and they both just just completely you know embodied these characters so to such a point that now I actually can 't think of those characters as anything other as anyone other than than alia and Holiday. They are the most real version of those characters to me in my head. I think about them, and i don 't think about the book, I think of just their faces. And I read somewhere that they spent a few days in Dublin getting they to did. know some of the, the good spots around town, so it would be an authentic experience. <laughs> they did, they did. So the director, Sophie, gave them little tasks to do around town to get to know each other and to, and to just sort of live the life a little bit, I suppose. So yeah, they went a bit
3: method. And you mentioned, so they were over here rehearsing during The Beast from the East. Yes. But when they were filming, um, it was around the time of the Eighth Amendment. Uh, yes. referendum in this country and in the film shortcut's character wears a repeal jumper which she is does. great to see yeah um did the feeling in the city around the time have an impact
1: on the film itself i think so i think you know we had to obviously tweak the script a bit um once we knew we were going to move to Dublin because of the, you know, the laws as they were at the time. Um, and then actually it just felt like it did have so much more social resonance in the end and it felt like a really intense place to be making it, which just felt great. Um, and, and you know, it just... It, there's so much... So many of the themes are about women's bodies and their choices and, what you know, their judgment and, and all of that. It just felt like, you know... Dublin just became extra resonant as as a location um, when when all of that was going on, and you know we could all be be a part of of you know of of, of what that felt like here. I
3: think um, that Laura character says, "My body, my choice." At
1: some point, does, as well, yes.
3: which was great. Yeah, because <laughs> all of your Irish um, women watching that film were like, "Yeah." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I can't keep you any longer um, because I know you have a screening tonight in we the do. lighthouse, which yes. is just around the corner. We're in the Hendrick Hotel at the moment so the film will be in irish cinemas i know it's already been released elsewhere but it'll be in irish cinemas from this friday that's right yes. so what's now for you for emma jane onsworth
1: i know you, you mentioned you were already writing a book so can we expect something yes so i've got a new book out um next february which is called Adults, which is about female friendship um it's partly about female friendship in your mid-30s because that's because loads of things happened with my friends in the mid-30s that i just felt there was some kind of something general there to comment on um and also a character who has carved out a life for herself i suppose in animals you've got some a woman who who finds her own place in the world where she's not defined by relationships and anything oppressive around her anymore and she feels self-liberated in that way so in adults it's about a character who manages to do all of that but then something still comes in and scuppers her in her mid thirties, which might be to do with female biology and what we can't quite get around just yet. Cause I wanted to look at that. Um, and, and it's the mother daughter relationship as well, because that just felt like fun and that just what, well, that's kind of what, what, that, that, that was the natural setting when as soon as I started exploring this character it felt like her mother had to be a part of this so yeah so so that's the book and then I'm adapting that for television so I'm going to have uh-huh. a go uh, writing some TV because that just feels like it's more just feels like it's a better fit for this story rather than a film but I hope to write more films I'd love to I'd love it if an idea came along and just sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said hello I'm a film because nothing's done that so far it's been and adaptation yeah so not a book first a film right, book, first. Book, something comes <laughs> as a film then but maybe maybe that's just because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I've only done one film so far. Maybe as I try more screenwriting, in my head, my ideas will start coming in that form as I get a bit more used to it, maybe.
3: Well, best of luck with it, Emma. Thank you so much for talking to the Women's Podcast and we'll be keeping our eye out for February for that new book.
1: Thank Adults. you, my pleasure. Thank you.
2: And that's it for today. Thanks to our guests, Emma-Jane Unsworth and Moira Fowley-Doyle. Watch out for animals in the cinema near you. And look out too for All the Bad Apples by Moira Fowley-Doyle in all good bookshops. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at It Women's Podcast or email us on Podcast at irishtimes.com. We love hearing from you. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roshan Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with J.J. Vernon on sound. I'm Bernice Harrison and until next time, thanks for listening.